everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys are having a great uh, day today. Uh, joining me again today for this podcast is Micah Current. So Micah, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm like a, a flea. You can't get rid of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're probably the this most... Is like, this is like three in a row. It is. You're probably the most recurring guest I've had on my show since uh, Ryan when we first started podcasting back in 2008 when we first well, started honored. this podcast. So. I'm honored to be here and I'm glad to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So for those of you who are listening, if you happen to get an opportunity and listen to last week's podcast, we talked a little bit about uh, politics and the church and you know, kind of where we saw that. And it was so interesting because, you know, Mike and I were planning on doing this thing on church culture today um, or Friday. And then um, yesterday, my wife happened to see something on Twitter and she found this quote. And I thought it was interesting because I wanted to kind of use this to kind of bridge between the, our conversation on politics and going into church culture. And uh, this uh, post by Alex Ford. And it's kind of a long thread. So if you want to go look up Alex Ford or these few inches, whatever his uh, Twitter handle is, you can find this post. But uh, one of the things he wrote was, most often it doesn't much matter if the pastor challenges it. People will leave a church over politics, but rarely, if ever, leave politics behind over a church. So, Micah, with this little soundbite, what are kind of like your initial thoughts from this uh, soundbite? What's the first things that pops into your head when I read that little quote to you? Um, probably my first thought is, uh, what are people thinking? <laughs> like, what? Are, what? Are, I mean, what I mean by that is like, what are their where Where are their hearts at? Like, mm -hmm. are they truly invested in the vision and the culture of the church that they're attending? Um, are they truly following the vision and the leadership of their pastor and their staff? Um, and then a question that I would throw back is, you know, why, why are they going to that church? You mm. know, why are they a part of that culture if they're going to be like that? And I think it's okay to challenge and hold people accountable, but there's also <clears throat> kind of this, um, I don't know. I don't want to say authoritarianism, but like pastors and staff are kind of held it in a, in a higher regard because they, mm -hmm. they feel like they've been called by God and they've been called to that ministry assignment. Um, yeah, I, it's just, it's amazing growing up in a pastor's home time and time again, seeing, you know, examples of uh, lay people challenging their pastor and their staff, you know, time and time again, just to, um, I guess, make a stink in the church versus actually trying to, you know, accomplish something for the ministry in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and kind of, I, and kind of the piggyback off that, you know, one of the things that I thought of was, you know, it had to do a lot with, well, you know, why are people, are, why are people there? Are they there to experience God? Are they there to be transformed by God? Um, you know, because if I think about, you know, when the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, Timothy, um, you know, he's saying, you know, the word of God is God breathed and it can be used for teaching, um, preaching, correcting, rebuking and all these things. And for me, when I think about God's word and it being in it being communicated, you know, it should transform us. 
whether I'm reading it, whether I'm hearing it from a church leader, whether I'm hearing it on a podcast or a book on tape, or or even if I have like an audio book of the Bible and James Earl Jones is reading to me, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, man, this is, this is something that if I'm in the word, it should transform me. So then the question is, is if people are leaving their churches because of whether the pastor makes a political statement or he stays silent when there's something going on and doesn't say anything, it's almost like, well, because this church doesn't necessarily fit with a my political point of view, then I'm going to just leave and go somewhere else instead of saying, well, even if you have your political point of view, but it's something that we're seeing in our society and the pastors preaching the scriptures, and it kind of contradicts what you believe politically, and not necessarily bending the word out of context, because that could be a whole other, <laughs> whole other conversation. But if we feel like that the pastor is preaching the word of God faithfully, and it contradicts, and it kind of hurts a little bit from my political point of view, then either A, I have to make that adjustment and change and say, okay, I see as a Christian how this could be wrong. I see as a Democrat or a Republican how this kind of contradicts the word of God. So where do I draw that line as far as my faith in my politics and can i be mature enough to separate those two and still say you know i still see myself as a republican or a democrat but at the same time my primary my primary thing is my walk in my faith in jesus christ and that's going to be the top and then my politicals are and then my political point of view is going to kind of take a second or a third depending on the situation. And I feel like a lot of times what we're seeing or when we see posts like, or when I see posts like that on Twitter, or if I see someone talking about a bad church experience on TikTok, it usually seems to be that the political culture seems to kind of trump a kingdom culture uh, within our churches, which again, makes it very hard for church leaders to try to navigate um, in, in kind of that culture. Yeah. And like, if I could take it a step further, that tweet mm-hmm. and take it out of context, because I know you didn't really want to go there, but like, I was just thinking <laughs> about it as you were talking about mm-hmm. it. But the second part of that tweet says people will leave the church over politics, but rarely, if ever leave politics behind over a church. Mm-hmm. And I think politics, you know, and this, this is paraphrasing, but in two, in two contexts, right? Mm-hmm. One politics of your political affiliation, whether you're, you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, whatever that may be. And then like the pastor is, you know, teaching something that you don't necessarily agree with politically. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the conversation that you and I are having in this moment. The other thing outside of the context of that tweet is um, what about politics within the church? Right. What about mm-hmm. the politics of the family who thinks they run, run the place? Or what about the politics of, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it's funny because like, I was just thinking about that as we were talking about it. But the second part of that tweet, people will leave the church for politics, but rarely if ever leave politics behind over a church. And what I was thinking about in that moment, Scott, when you were talking about it was the fact that like, you know, uh, people will leave church because of church politics. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when they go to another church, they take this politics with them because they're the problem. 
they're the problem, they're the politics, the quote unquote politics, and they're taking mm-hmm. that baggage or that garbage with them. Yeah. So you could you could unpack this tweet a number of different ways. Exactly. Which is why, you know, as we kind of move to this, really the main topic of church culture, why this is such a a big topic, because, you know, culture is something that is fluid. It's something that's ever changing. It's like, um, you know, I would say cultures like clay or it's like Play-Doh. You can continue to move it and bend it and you can create so many different things out of culture and depending, you know, sometimes culture can be very pliable and change, but if you leave culture, but if you kind of keep culture the same within an organization, it eventually is going to start to dry up and start to crack. Um, so kind of the first question to kind of kickstart this off about, you know, church leadership, church culture, and everything else is what is vital to the transformation of the church? Is it the vision of the church or is it the culture of the church? Um, both. Mm. And I think, it, and, and I'm being sincere when I say that, I think it's both. Um, uh, biblically, uh, it says without a vision in Proverbs, it says without a vision, the church will perish. Mm. Right. Um, and I, and that's part of it. But the other part of that question was culture. I think if we talked a little about this in the worship podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, but like creating the culture of excellence mm-hmm. among your teams, whether it's worship, whether it's student ministry, whether it's your preaching rotation, you're creating that culture and expectation of, of teams and staff and lay people and, you know, volunteers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I think it's important to have both um, as far as, you know, transformation in the local church. If you have a vision as a staff, as a lead pastor, the pastor, you know, is kind of the person who facilitates that vision. He gets that vision from the Lord. The Lord kind of get, places it on their hearts. They bring it to their team and they're like, okay, this is what the Lord's giving me. And we create that market, that brand, that accordingly. And then that's the foundation for the culture that we're creating for the ministry of the church that we're serving. And if, uh, I don't, I, th- I think you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. That's just what I believe. I, I just don't think that you can have a vision and no culture to back that up. And I don't think you can have a culture without a vision. Yeah. What do you think? Well, see, I was, so yeah, I think, you know, I feel like a lot of times and I, I mean, I've sat in meetings, I've sat around boardrooms before where I've had the statement made, well, why do we have to have a vision? Cause isn't the vision just, you know, the great commission. And, it can and, be. And, and and yeah, I mean, it, it can very be. well be that. Absolutely. I think at the same time, you know, it's very easy just to say, well, our, um, you know, our vision is, you know, God is love and or, or love God, love people, you know, kind of base it on the great commandment. And that's our vision. It's like, and even when I started going back to church, I can remember, don't remember what the vision, like the actual wording or the, um, I'm trying to think of, you know, what the institutional vision was of the church, but it was more of just simply, it's a church that's built on the great commandment and the great commission. Okay. You know, easy enough. What's the great commandment? What's the great commission? I didn't know as a kid. So I, I could look in my Bible, look it up and go, Oh, here it is. I can read it. Um, at the same time, I was reading a book by a uh, Samuel Chan called a lock in your church culture. 
And one of the things he said is he said, you know, there's a lot of great pastors that could come in with a great vision, even a very God fearing vision, even, even just a vision where they feel God has opened up the heavens, has called them and said, this is the vision of the church and an audible voice and a booming audible voice. Um, and yet we can see that no matter how great or how godly the vision can be, if you don't have a good culture, sometimes the culture ends up kind of being like tar or mud for the vehicle vision, if we use vision as a vehicle. And one of the things that a chance said in that book, he says, you know, a great culture is the accelerant for vision. And I agree with that statement because there's been times where I've known pastors who have had great visions and yet they haven't been able to get the vision, the visions off the ground or even remotely to where it needs to go because they are dealing with a cultural issue within their church or within their organization. And I think that is kind of, so for me, I would say it's both because you need to have a good vision. Cause even if you have a good culture and you have no vision, then you just have a great culture. But then eventually, you know, it's it's almost like a vision. It's like going back to my Plato analogy. If culture is the clay, vision is the hands. Mm-hmm. And if you have hard clay, it doesn't matter how much I'm going to move that clay. It's not going to move or I'm going to start breaking things off. Mm-hmm. If the clay is palpable and it can be manipulated and moved and can create great things, but I'm not touching it, just sitting there, then it's just going to harden and dry out. Um, so I think that's, so for me, I would say you have to have good Play-Doh. And then once you have good Play-Doh, you can then move your vision forward. So I would kind of almost put culture a little bit above vision, in my opinion. Um, well, like to back you up, yeah. like and piggyback off what you said, you could have Reverend Dr. Scott Stedman be, you know, the, have the greatest vision ever. And you could really believe that God has given you that word, but you could be at a church where they don't understand that. They oh, don't yeah. get it. They're not on board with it. They don't want to be on board with it. And it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult as somebody who, you know, has been hired to be quote unquote, the visionary of the church and, you know, the front, the spearhead, whatever you want to call it. And you're, your people don't understand it. They just don't get it. And so I think that's where vision casting or vision, having that vision and really teaching on that vision, you know, having a vision, uh, what do they call it? Vision casting Sundays where (laughs) you start teaching and pitching your ideas and, you know, really brand and market your, your ideas and bring people along. I think that is a, is a mistake that young pastors make and I want to say this very carefully, but like <clears throat> they don't have buy-in from, from, from their church, the local mm. church that they're, they're serving. And they go in and they're like, well, I'm good at this and I'm guilty of this. I'm good at marketing and I'm good at social media and yeah. I'm good at website design and I'm good at stage design and lighting and everything. But the culture of your church may not be used to that. And you go in there and you just try to flip it and you survive for 12 months and you're out of there. Like Uh, that, you know what I mean? Like, that's just not, um, you have to have buy-in from your people. Um, Uh, yeah. And, and I think 
Oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No, no. You, you had uh, Mandy Hamilton on a couple of months ago mm-hmm. on your podcast. I was on staff at a church with her dad, Roger. Actually, I was on staff at two different churches. Uh, one of the most sound pieces of advice that Roger Hamilton ever gave me, shout out to Roger Hamilton, one of the most sound pieces of advice that he ever gave me as a young pastor was to love the people and take your time, meaning mm-hmm. that you need to get out with the people, you need to talk to people, you need to get that quote unquote buy-in from your lay people, invest in them, invest in their stories, know their kids, know what their kids do as far as playing sports and being in recreational activities in their schools, plays, whatever. It's almost like you're a youth pastor for everybody, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's almost like you're a youth pastor. Um, go out to dinner with that family, go out to dinner with, uh, learn what the mom and the dad do. Does the mom stay at home and take care of the kids? Does the dad work? Do they both work? Like mm-hmm. know their story. And it doesn't matter what age they are. Um, you know, a demographic, like if they're, they're elderly and towards the end of their life, maybe retired or young and have kids and they're just starting out as a family, like know their story. So one of the most sound pieces of advice that Roger Hamilton ever told me was to love the people and take your time. And I think that versus, oh, I know how to do everything Mm -hmm. goes a long way. Cause once you go to make those shifts and make those changes, they're, they're not as likely to be upset or um, shocked by the fact that, hey, we're going to do this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this kind of hits on our next question. You know, why does it seem challenging for leaders, whether they're a paid leader or they're a lay leader, to navigate a culture change? And I think you kind of hit it on the head. I think it's just kind of that idea of, you know, how are you connecting with people? And I don't, and I don't necessarily, and, you know, just to kind of support what you said and kind of almost challenge it a bit, which sounds weird, sounds very paradoxical, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) I agree. You need to kind of build those relationships with people so that they can kind of support a pastor, support the vision and, 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 and in a way building those relationships can kind of, even with the, even again, I'm going to use a Play-Doh analogy again, but even with hard Play-Doh, if you put enough water in it and move it around, eventually it'll start to become palatable again. You'll start to be able to move it a little bit more. Um, but again, it's taking your time. And I think like, you know, looking at different churches and whether it's their size or their financial situation, or even just the makeup, you know, do you have a good mix of different generations or do you have a mostly older congregation or a mostly younger congregation and it's it's interesting when you look at um, some of the challenges I think back to reading a uh, circle maker by Mark uh, Batterson and when he was starting the church plant up in DC National uh, Community Church he said you know we had a lot of young people in the church which is great but they weren't big donors to the church so mm-hmm. a lot of times by the time they would have to pay the high price of rent in DC and everything else, like there was really m- not much money to pay even staff after yeah. we paid all the rent and the lighting and the utilities. It was like, you know, I think, I think I can't remember that book. I think there might've been like maybe two or five bucks left. And that would have been Mark's salary for that month. You know, <laughs> what if after all the utilities and stuff it was like two or five dollars. And it's like, wow, you know, that's crazy. Um, But eventually that changed. And then yet you could have a place where you have people who give who a good makeup and they're working families and they're making, 
you know, the highest amount of money that they can. And they're very generous in their donations. And it's almost like, you know, there's always challenges depending on size, locations, geographical locations. If you're in a suburb or if you're in the inner city, there's always these challenges. And, you know, thinking about kind of my experience, you know, there's times where I can remember going into a church and it was my first year there. And we're trying to do a vision vision planning meeting. And I remember just opening it up to just the leaders because we had five ministry teams saying, hey, let's get together. Let's talk about vision and kind of have this idea to kind of be more collaborative with, you know, kind of launching a new vision for the church. And literally, including me, I had four people show up and it was it was encouraging because I'd have to deal with a lot of conflicting opinions. Everyone was willing to work, but at the same time, it's like, this is your guys's church and you guys that I've reached out to, which was about 25 people, you're leaders of the church. People have put their trust in you. The congregation has put their trust in you to be a leader. And yet you're not willing to come out for an hour or two to really help us develop a new vision for the church. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was frustrating. And, and, you know, I think after I resigned, I, I look back and I can look at, you know, like you even said, you know, being a young minister, sometimes there's things where you can make really mistakes and I can look at back and go, yeah, here's some, here's some mistakes I've made. And yet I could also look back and go and, you know, these were signs. And if I was early early signs that, you know, I probably should, bow out, bow out a lot sooner than I did. Um, yeah. Which again, and that's the, another thing, which again was hard because if I think back to my years of ministry, especially at a particular church, it's like, you know, if I would have bowed out year one or year two, instead of year six, <laughs> I think about how many people have I influenced that they are now going to church and now they're in an integral part of leadership within that church organization that may not have happened if I would have bowed out year one or year two. And I think that's what makes things challenging for a leader because you are in some ways, you mentioned it, you said that, you know, in some ways leaders are challenged because they're the ones who kind of have to be called by God. They're called by God and they are there to kind of hold themselves accountable because they are called by God. And I think one of the challenging questions I seem to run by, and this may this may be a bigger topic, do we see the position of leader or a pastor? Do we do we see the challenges or the culture of a pastor who's kind of helping navigate the culture? Is it based on being called by God, or do some people within the congregation see it? Well, this is what a pastor has to do because it's laid out in First Timothy. And they have to hit all these benchmarks. Yeah. Um, man, that's so good. <laughs> all, <laughs> all of it. Uh, it's great, Scott. I mean, really is because, you know, I think you and I both lived through some of that. And I think, well, all of it, basically, what you just said. Um, but, like, specifically, like, another challenge as pastors um, that I've seen, you know, working in you know, small to mid-sized churches and then large churches, because I've worked in both. Mm-hmm. Um, when you work in a larger church, nobody really questions what you're doing. 
as a staff person. Mm. Like the staff may question what you're doing because you make those decisions as a staff. Yeah. But Joe, who comes to church on Sundays, he comes to first service and we don't know him. He just comes to the church. He's not going to ask why the bumper video is that way or why the sermon slides are that way or why the motion background is that color or, or, or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But like, and I think that's why like a lot of people who have worked in a larger setting, when they try to get to a smaller setting, they don't succeed as much because they have, they had all the tools to succeed in those arenas. And then when they get to the smaller arena, they may have all those tools. However, they don't have the buy-in from the congregation and it's like, now what? <laughs> oh yeah. And, and that's, a yeah, that's great. That's great stuff. Because I mean, even like when I think about kind of going back to, you know, why is it challenging for leaders to navigate a culture change? I mean, even when I listened to um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I mean, the big vision for Mars Hill was to literally transform the city of Seattle, which was called like the most godless city in America to become, you know, in some ways become transformed by Christ. That's a very big vision. That's a very lofty vision. At the same time, the personalities, especially, you know, you look at Mark Driscoll and how he had a very narcissistic personality, um, which, you know, it was about everything was about him and everything. And even I think there's one time where, especially with the larger church, it was like when someone had access to Mark, like just a lay person to do some inner healing or to do some a great work and yet people in the church would be jealous of that because like wow you got to spend you got to spend two minutes or three or, out, you yeah. got to spend two or three hours a week with mark i i can't get even a minute with the pastor so it and you say you know with larger churches your average person's not going to care or have a voice or a say because everything's always done at the top of the um at, mm-hmm. of the infrastructure and yet you can go to your smaller country churches and it's more congregational driven where even if your leaders even if your leaders support the pastor and they say yes we think this is a great ministry or a great program or a great vision and you go and you communicate that the congregation can just basically jeer you and sometimes what usually happens is once they jeer you the other the rest of the elders of the leadership lay leaders that are working with the pastor they again begin to backtrack it's like they're forward to pastor in their corner. And then once the congregation pulls out their pitchforks and their torches, they're going, Oh, okay. We're going to go ahead and hide in our houses and shut the door. And the pastor's going to take the latch <laughs> for it, which, you know, and it's, it is, it's just, I think that's what makes it challenging because there's so many factors that go into it from social economics to how big your church is and the makeup of your church. That's what seems to be challenging for leaders to, navigate the culture and be able to, you know, cast a vision that's going to change things. Well, and like, you know, a great example of that is, you know, I live in Southwest Ohio, close to Cincinnati and um, Crossroads church is one of the biggest churches in North America. And it's in, right, right. It's right in the heart of Cincinnati and they have several campuses, but the, the model that they have is, you know, they obviously have guest speakers once in a while, but they have 
Brian Tome, who's the lead pastor, and this is just how I understand it, but Brian Tome is the lead pastor. They have a rotation of teaching pastors who kind of rotate every month. Like, I think there's four of them. There's uh, Brian, Kyle, Allie, and Chuck uh, Mingo. And they rotate every single month. And, um, but every campus for Crossroads, I mean, there's several campuses. They have prison campuses, but they have like, I think 12 visible locations between Cincinnati, Columbus, and Northern Kentucky. And every campus has what's called a campus pastor or a community pastor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you may or may not get to talk to them because each campus runs 1,500 to 2,000 people. And they have multiple services and, you know, everything that goes on. But like, I'm never going to get to talk to Brian Tome, mm-hmm. right? Because this church is a church of multiple campuses. It runs about 35,000 people on the weekend online and in person. And it's good. It's got such a large footprint that I'm never going to get to talk to Brian Tome, right? Yeah. Um, I've ran into Chuck Mingo before at a, at, a, at a men's ministry conference and got to talk to him for a few minutes. He's one of their teaching pastors, but it was only because he was at the same church as I was teaching at the thing that I was running production for. And, you know, I was able to help him out and talk to him for a few minutes. But like, if I went to the main campus of Crossroads, I wouldn't get to talk to Chuck because there's just so many people there. Back to your point of the smaller church, like I may, you know, growing up in a pastor's home, dad always pastored smaller churches. And the the norm was for the pastor at the end of every service to go stand at the doors as people were leaving. And so he shook everybody's hands and everybody knew who he was because it was such a small city community town. And everybody knew everybody. So like there's, there's good and bad to all of that. Right. But like back to your conversation about um, excellence and, and, and pitching, you know, vision and culture, I think that they're um, it's just, there's, we talked about it in the worship podcast, it's balance and there's no perfect recipe. Yeah. Right. We're, we're not even talking about growing churches. We're just talking about the culture of churches as they are. And if there's no, you know, clear cut vision and this is the way we're going to be. And this is the way we've always been. Then I think you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, and it's, it's interesting now because now I'm kind of seeing, Oh, how do I put this, you know, being kind of being in that transition mode where I'm like now looking to, okay, where's God going to call me next to serve as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And you apply to places and you kind of get snapshots of what this place is going to be. And then you start getting the interviews or maybe they'll send you a questionnaire to answer. And sometimes just the questions and even sometimes just whether they're vocal questions or print questions, you can easily find out what's going on. And I think as a young pastor, when I first started in ministry, I wouldn't have noticed it. And now as a, as a more veteran well, because, now. Because you're so like, I need to go do my next church. I need to go serve at my next, you know, my next vocation. I need to get my next assignment and I need to do this, this, and this. Oh, yeah. Because all I have to do is serve the church. But at the same time, I'm here to tell you today, friend and listeners, that <laughs> there's a little bit of freedom in that, right? I walked away from a full-time job in ministry because I was A, burned out, and B, felt like God wasn't calling me there and I rushed into it too quickly, mm. right? And now... I'm serving churches voluntarily and I'm going and doing consulting and I'm doing, you know, worship leading at different churches. And it's been the most rewarding, fulfilling season of my life because I'm not tethered to a church and I'm not inundated in the identity crisis that that church may have, whatever that church may be. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm in the same boat, you know, just the idea of 
doing church consulting and just even helping people, you know, give them advice or helping them, or even just even tuning into a service. If there's a pastor buddy I know who lives far away and just watching their message and just sending them an encouraging message in a text saying, Hey, great job. You know, that, that is sometimes the most rewarding thing is just to do those things. Cause again, you don't have to feel like you're playing for the team. You're almost kind of like the, um, you're almost kind of like the guy. I can't even think of it. It's like, it's like you're a side actor. You're, you're in every, you're almost in all these movies, but yet you're never a star. You're always, the side person that's there, but everyone knows who you are because you're in everything, (laughs) but it's more rewarding for people who do that type of work because they don't feel like they have all the pressure to try to win an Oscar or to, or the film's going to, or however the film does in the box office is going to make or break their career, you know, because for them, it's like, well, I had 15 minutes in this movie. So who cares if it bombs or if it bombs, darn if it does well then hey i get a little bit more of a payout so good for me <laughs> well and, um, and back to back to your you know your conversation about or your topic question statement about um you know what you know we were younger at one point i'm not saying we're super old but like we're what's the right word um choosing to really invest in what we think God has next for us versus Mm -hmm. running to that next assignment just because it's an assignment. Right. Yeah. And I think, think there's a lot of health in that and there's a lot of maturity in that. Yeah. Um, I I'll tell you, I was in in seminary and I was like, Oh, I gotta be a ministry job. I got to have a ministry job. I gotta have a ministry job. I gotta, I have to be a worship leader. And God was like, no, I mean, you can be a worship leader because you're called to do that. But at the same time, you may not get a, a full-time ministry opportunity right away. Yeah. And then, you know, once I got kind of inundated into the local church and was serving, I've served at multiple churches all over the country. Um, I, there's something just so healthy and liberating about taking a break and unplugging from that weekly drive or expectation of what people perceive you as and what people expect of you. Like I didn't realize I was as burnt out as I was Mm. until I gave my keys and my credit card to my boss at the last church I worked at and walked out. Oh yeah. Oh, and I think, and I think that kind of goes back to, um, you know, I think when we think about, because you talked about attachment and we talked about kind of this idea of performance, you know, are we burning out our pastors and our leaders and even our volunteers by focusing too much on performance and if so, what would be a more biblical solution? Mm. <laughs> because I mean, it's 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 crazy. Because when I it's and again, this goes back to culture. Because I think about my first church that I pastored at. I was there for three years, bivocational, part time. You know, part time ministry. Had two other jobs that I worked worked outside of ministry too, and yet. Every time when I would go into that church, I would do my best. I would do my best to lead that church. And yet the people there were just so kind and accepting of me and my wife. They loved us. They, they cherished us and they supported us any way they could. And they encouraged us. And I, and yet I could think about all the three years I was there, not once, did I ever have to sit in a board meeting and have to go do a performance review? 
because mm-hmm. they were able to see it because they saw the fruits of what I was doing as a pastor. Fast forward to my last position, probably I've been there for six years. I'd say probably the last four years, they started doing performance reviews. And it was just like one of those things where they did them and it was like, okay. And at first I was kind of accepting of it, you know, okay, yeah, that'd be great. Cause then it can help me figure out, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses in ministry? And then especially the last couple, I just sat there and I'm like, you know, I feel like I do these and not only is it going down and I feel like I'm busting my butt more and yet my review keeps going down and down Mm -hmm. because I'm not hitting certain expectations. And when there's always a change in eldership that affects, you know, my, I guess my rating. Yeah. And I can remember at the end of that performance review, they would always ask, what are some things that you would like us as elders to do? And every year I said the same exact thing. And they say, well, what do you mean? And I would tell them exactly what I meant. And yet it just seemed like every year they would do it to a point and then life or whatever. And then they start missing the mark. Like even, I mean, even I, I could say one of the big things was before every service, I want to make sure that me and the elders and anybody else who wanted to join would have a time of prayer over the service before we would do the service. And I can remember, I said, this is what I want. Elder board's like, yes. And all five of my elders would sit there with me. We'd pray. And we did that for about two, about two months. And then every time I'd be waiting in my office and maybe I'd have one or two elders show up. And then eventually got to the point where I'm just praying by myself for the service. And I'm like, guys, this is important to me. This is important for the future of the church. And yet I feel like I'm going, and if I'm the only one who's praying over our service, because no one, everyone else wants to talk or do whatever, or have conversations, it's like, well, we can have those conversations, but this was important to me. And they never got that. Um, So I felt like, you know, for me, I felt like by the time I left, I turned to my keys, I moved out of the parsonage and everything. I mean, not only did I feel different because I was to the point where I was burnt out and still dealing with a lot of woundedness from everything that I experienced, but even like my wife and my kids could just tell that they just saw their father or their father and their husband just transform completely. Like overnight, it was just like, Whoa, I gave him my dog. <laughs> even my dog could tell because he's not like coming up to me and like rubbing up against me trying to like wants me to pet him to like de-stress <laughs> he's like oh sure. you're good i'm just gonna go lay on my bed now <laughs> well and and unlike you know a normal job quote unquote normal job if you you know work at a an institution and you feel like you've done what you can there and you've been you know offered another opportunity somewhere else like for another company or whatever you can um you know turn your badge in turn your keys in credit card whatever and just be done and go to your next thing at churches i think it's a little bit different because you're building lifelong relationships with people and they're invested in who you are and what you've done and you know some pastors you know, or that are fortunate enough to stay places long-term 10, 15, 20, 25, even maybe 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
they've built life, lifelong relationships. They've seen oh, yeah. people grow up and get married and have kids and their kids grow up and have kids. And, um, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy feeling. It is um, mm-hmm. because especially like, you know, and I feel like we're going all over with this conversation, but like, it's just, um, we, we haven't even talked a bit, you know, about being called to a place and then being released from a place. Mm-hmm. And then people don't understand that people don't understand that, you know, you can be called up a certain place. And then even if it's, if it's a long-term thing or a short-term thing, like people get attached because, because, mm-hmm. because the difference between, you know, pastors, you can get called places for an assignment versus the people that go to the church, the lay people, they don't understand that pastors move a lot and they change churches a lot and they you know some be, some people can be you know a children's pastor or a student ministries pastor or a worship pastor and they get called somewhere else because they get a better opportunity whether it's more money um they can be closer to family uh it, it's just this strange phenomenon but like my wife and i i grew up in a pastor's home my wife grew up in the military and we're used to moving a lot and so now that we're older we're okay with settling and establishing roots and not mm-hmm. moving as much because we move so much as kids. Yeah. Um, the average person that goes to your church, that's your friend. They may not understand that and maybe be heartbroken over that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of grieving that goes along with the, the transition um, in and out of a local church. So yeah. 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 I don't know why I said all that, but it just, no, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, I think it's a point because even, pastors who burn out or even pastors who even if they kind of even if they go and they throw the church under the bus when they walk out the door you know Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be when you look at their heart there's still that attachment you know and feeling and even when you get to the point whether you leave because you're burned out leave because you can no longer stay at a church because the culture has gotten so bad or so toxic that you just feel like you have to walk away from it because you just can't there's nothing you can do to kind of make that clay movable anymore well and it goes and and it's like you have to how can i say this um i've always been a big proponent of don't burn a bridge yeah Mm -hmm. right not burning bridges where you are if you're transitioning out of a ministry um, season, walk out with your head held high, do the best you can and do not burn the bridge. Thank whoever you're working with for their time and for the opportunity. Say that they ever need anything that you would be available. Um, not to say that, you know, those people can, can or should abuse that privilege mm-hmm. yeah. um, in respecting your space and, and the time that you have away. Um, but, you know, I think in my 10 years, I think there's maybe one church that I've pastored at that I've not been back to mm-hmm. at one point or another. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's super healthy to walk away with your held, your head held up high yeah. and, and, and have the respect of your peers. Cause that season is, is hard enough as it is. But if you just, you know, my dad taught me that my mom taught me that it's, you know, just, Respect the people who, you know, for who they are. Yeah. Walk away with your head held high and just be the better person, so to speak. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it's better for everybody. It's healthy. And, you know, once you get out, 
of that, you know, whether it's, you know, talking to your spouse or family or, you know, medical counseling, you know, mm-hmm. getting that, you know, pastoral care. Um, mm-hmm. I had several professors in college and seminary that were big proponents of pastoral care. Mm-hmm. And there's a time and a space to do all those things. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I think that's important. Yeah. Those things it, are very important. Absolutely. And I was thinking, you know, kind of with this cop topic, um, you know, what's the more biblical solution? You know, that's always, that's the million dollar question. It's, it's funny that you, you say that. So I'm preparing for uh, a church that I'm speaking at next week. And um, the passage is Luke four and mm. it talks about God's favor. Right. And Jesus was challenged. And uh, at the end of the temple or the temple, the end of the passage in verse 20, uh, it's Luke four. And it says, um, this is after Jesus was tested and he was, um, he kind of proved his point. And at the end of the passage, it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. Meaning he just walked through the crowd. He had proved his point. He had told them what he thought and he made his point and he made his exit. He didn't continue to argue. He didn't continue to fight or any of those things. He Mm -hmm. just walked through the crowd and went to his next assignment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And how powerful is that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a statement like, because you're not, you're not feeding the frenzy anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that that time in your season has come to an end and that you're, you know, you're on to the next thing and you're going to keep your head held high. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think for me, kind of thinking about, you know, culture change, what's a more biblical solution so that we don't have leaders and volunteers getting burned out and everything else. I had a devotion this morning and it was taken from Romans 15, seven that says, accept one another, just as Christ accepts you and it will bring praise to God. And I'm thinking, you know, I think there's always, um, and I think this was the, the quote that I put on Facebook that you and uh, Steve Roby were commenting on where it was about, you know, the, the heart being put into the body, you know, when a foreign object or a new heart transplant you know, the body has to accept the heart that's coming in, in order for the body to live. And I think it kind of goes both ways, you know, you could have a healthy heart. um, But again, like with the heart, you have to be able to pump blood through the body. Um, And at the same time, you know, the body has to accept that blood coming through. So there's almost that acceptance of, you know, as a leader, you know, are you going to a place where you're going to get the congregation to accept you and say, Hey, we're excited that we have this leader with us. We're going to, you know, we're going to support them. We're going to uh, love them and their families, and we're going to try to do its best. And I think on the flip side of that, the leader also has to be able to love the people that God had called them to serve. So there is that mutual acceptance of one another of coming together and doing that. And I think when you do that, then that kind of in a way creates a more of a, a ground for great ministry and great vision to kind of get built up upon because of a healthy culture of accepting one another as Jesus has accepted us. Hmm. Um, so one Man, of this the, is deep. Oh, it, this is so deep. <laughs> well, just, let's. I know we. I said we're going to go theo- theological. Then we're going to go practical. Um, and we're just yeah. we're just kind of staying up here a little bit. This deepness. Um, it's so good though. It is. It is good. Um, kind of 
Uh, see, now I feel like when I ask this next question, we're just going to make another left turn. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, but before I ask this question, there's something else that when I was reading a church leadership book, uh, Chan, just a couple of days ago, he talked about the value of language and how language is value when it comes to a vision and culture and support and it was so interesting because as I'm reading through this section and I'll, I'll just pull out a couple of things he said, I was thinking about my own ministry experience and just like, wow, how vital language is. Um, and for an example, he said that, you know, let's say you're sitting in a boardroom and let's say you're talking about something, whatever the case may be. Let's say you're talking about a new ministry endeavors and you're like, okay, here's this, here's where I feel God's called me to do as a pastor. I think this is the way he's leading the church and we're going to do this ministry and that ministry. And let's say you pick a ministry and let's say it's going to be, I don't know. I'm going to say something crazy. How about, you know, we're going to buy a food truck and we're going to make food and then we're going to sell it to people in the community and all the proceeds are going to go to help people within our community whether their house burned down or cancer treatments or whatever. And you're going to, and what if we like give it away? Ministry. What? Or what if we give it away and don't charge them? There you go. Or yeah, you just make food and you go down to like where the homeless are and you serve them, you know, whatever the case, you're buying a food truck and you're going to make food. And however you use that, that's, that's the foundation. And he said, sometimes in the boardroom, you can hear someone say, that's a good idea, but I don't think anybody from the church would, support that and it was so funny about the language aspect of it because what it made me think about is how many times in all the years of leadership how i've heard that's a great idea but i don't think people would get behind it it's almost like i want to praise you for the idea i think it's great i think it's wonderful i think you should even do it i think we should do it but i don't think anyone's going to support it without even asking people, Hey, we have this idea, want to do it. So I almost feel like it's the, it's like the pampering before you get your, it's like the praise before you get the back slapped across the face in some way. It's like a second hand. It's like a backhanded compliment in some ways. Um, the other thing he said is sometimes with language, you can hear how things in meetings or progress of vision or things that can um, detour vision is when you hear people say, well, some people, and use that word, some people don't like this or some people don't like that. And it's like how we approach certain words or even if I don't like something, I'm going to use the word some people just so that I'm not the one. It's almost like I'm putting up a wall to kind of say, I don't really like this, but I don't want to take the blame for it. So I'm going to, you know, use smoke and mirrors to disguise myself. And I just thought about, you know, how we use our tongues and how we use our speech and how we use it to, again, encourage, accept, um, admonish people and how sometimes we can use our words in such a way or be very crafty with our words where we can give praise and jeers at the same time in ministry. Hmm. Sitting a nerve. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to push that button. I told you I was going to move. But I'm like, wait, I want to talk about language. But I mean, no, I, yeah. I, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. um, something that I've had to learn. And I think this comes again with maturity. That can be our word for today, maturity. maturity. Um, I think it comes with, with uh, spiritual maturity. Mm. Um, 
when you're young, you're full of energy, you want to react, right? Oh yeah. Like that's, that's just, that's your go-to. You're, you're, you think you know everything. You think you have all the answers and yes, you may be gifted and yes, you may be smart, but at the same time, I think it's good to listen. Um, and that's something that I've learned over the course of, you know, 10 years of doing this or so. Um, if I'm sitting in a room with 10 people, board members, lay leaders, whatever, and you're the first one to talk or you're the first one to react versus sitting there and listening and taking it all in, I feel like you're going to get the bigger picture if you listen to what everybody else says. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Respecting people's opinion. And it comes back to that conversation about having buy-in with people that you've invested in. Yeah. If you sit back and listen to Tom and Sarah and you know Logan and they're all pitching their ideas and instead of you know interrupting Tom and then interrupting you know each of them you know versus listening to everything and then giving your input I think it goes a long way it goes longer or you know you have more buy-in once it's all said and done and you can react to everybody's opinion just versus just one instead of jumping down that first person's throat yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And kind of even going back to my original thing saying, um, I like the idea, but, um, you know, Chand in his book kind of wrote, you know, sometimes it might be good just to say, I like that idea. What more can you tell me about it? I like that idea. What support do you already have to try to get this ministry endeavor off the ground? Or, I like the idea what support would you need from the church to be able to do that? And if you hear that and you go, you know, we don't have the resources to support this, what, you know, that might be a thing where you could say, okay, well, I know as of right now, we don't have the support to do this, but if this is something you strongly feel about, then maybe we can do something like a capital campaign, or maybe there's something we can communicate to the rest of the body and say, Hey, so-and-so has this vision of ministry to do in the church. Uh, right now, the church doesn't have the resources to be able to accomplish this vision or this goal of whoever, of this person who wants to do that. Is there anyone in the church that would be willing to partner with this person or to encourage this person or even have ideas to give resources to this person to be able to help them. And who knows, there might be someone in the congregation go, oh yeah, I have a buddy who has a food truck and he's giving up the business. We can get it for like, a thousand bucks instead of paying 12,000 and paying all the, and getting everything all getting all the kitchen equipment and stuff built in. It's like, you know, there's something things where how you use your language can go a long way with just simple words and like, you know, what ifs and buts and kind of, I don't knows those kind of can kind of lay claim, lay a lot of land in, kind of curtailing your vision with these little small words. But when you start to be more proactive and listen to people and try to more inspire more creativity or more ideas or even better solutions um, to kind of help empower people to do the ministry that God has placed on their hearts, I think that can really lead to, uh, you know, it shows the markings of a good leader. And I think it even shows the good markings, uh, the good mark of a culture that is transforming into a good Mm -hmm. culture instead of a a bad culture. And this concludes part one of our episode on church leadership and culture. Thank you so much for listening, and we will have part two up next Friday. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.